Rebecca Vega, and this is My Sober Life. Welcome back to another episode of My Sober Life. Happy New Year. We are officially into 2021, and we survived 2020. If you're listening, you survived. Congratulations. We did it. And you're probably not thinking that magically on January 1st, everything was going to be amazing and awesome. I'm glad you're back. Glad to be back. Took a nice little staycation over the holidays. The type of work I do, this is the worst time of year and we don't usually get to take any days off. But since the holidays fell on Fridays this year, I actually got a couple of long weekends, which was really nice. I've gone back and forth about what to record this episode on. At first, I was just going to pull something I recorded over the summer. But then I realized that these last six weeks are some of the biggest drinking weeks in our society, starting with the week of Thanksgiving. When I was in college and shortly thereafter, Thanksgiving weekend was a huge going out weekend. The night before Thanksgiving was everybody and their mother meeting at the bars to get together because you hadn't seen each other probably since summer, maybe longer. And it was a great way for everybody to reconnect and kind of have a little reunion. I organized a lot of nights out like that, reunion style even. So I thought I should talk a little bit about that. Because even though a lot of what I'm exploring in this podcast doesn't necessarily have to do specifically with drinking, when you are using the word sober in the title of your podcast, you probably should touch on it from time to time. So yeah, so big, big drinking times. Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, probably one of the biggest nights going out nights of the year. And how different they are for me now than they used to be. Pandemic aside, we stopped going out on New Year's a while ago. Uh, it's been at least eight years, maybe more. It just got a little too crowded and a little too loud. As I've gone through this experience and gotten older, I find that I actually don't care for crowds all that much. So the going out scene wasn't that wasn't that enticing and parking would be a nightmare. There was always that concern if you didn't have a sober driver or being out on the road with other people who weren't sober. And so we stopped doing that a while ago. But now, since I don't drink either, I mean, that's like the seminal thing around New Year's Eve is champagne and toasting and celebrating that changeover and fresh start and all of those things. And I started to really think about this because I really wanted to break down what it is about this motivation that I had to immediately start forgetting the evening. (laughs) I don't know that I've touched on it yet, but I was very susceptible to blackouts. It usually only took maybe three or four drinks and I was going to be fuzzy the next morning. I don't know why. I always have been that way. As far back as I can recall, you know, the night would just be a big blank after a certain point. You hear that and you think, oh, ha ha ha, you know, all of those mornings you'd wake up and be like, I don't remember that. That's hilarious. I can't remember. And oh, you're kidding me. And sometimes you'd wake up with that pit in your stomach, feeling like you really screwed something up or said something you shouldn't have or did something you shouldn't have. But most of the time it was a lot of joking around about, oh, you were so wasted and you fell down here and we had to carry you there. But the crazy thing is when I was in it, unless I was really, really drunk, I 
was 100% lucid. Like I would have thought that I was fine. I wouldn't have thought myself drunk, but I definitely was. And that's a problem too, because I'm sure there were times that I drove and I shouldn't have. But coming out on the other side of it and seeing, you know, how we spend our holidays now and be lucky if we could stay up until midnight and watch the ball drop. It's just very different now. And I find it really fascinating now because it used to be such a motivation to do that, to wake up and think about maybe I have to get these three things done first, but then I'm going to start drinking. And it was all so I could stop feeling like myself, which is such a weird thing when you break it down at that level. I probably didn't realize that's what I was doing in the moment. It was, this is how we have fun. Take myself out of my present moment feeling, whatever it may be, and move along to something more lighthearted and not have to feel whatever it is I was feeling, even if things were okay. You know, there was that desire to take that first sip and start forgetting. It's a weird, a weird thing to look at now. And I'm not much for resolutions anymore. Used to be really big on that new year, new me type of thing and all out super hard and be like so super committed and act like anyone who wasn't that committed was lesser than. And then I would fail every time. I would say 99.9% of the time it had to do with losing weight, eating better, getting in shape, some sort of version of that. When you go kind of, oh, I'm going to binge, I'm going to go bananas, and then I won't feel so much like I'm missing out. It's It kind of has the opposite effect on me where it's like, okay, I've just been living in excess for so long and now I'm going to deprive myself from all of that immediately. That's a pretty hard, hard left to make for your body, mentally and physically. And I always failed. I was, I could, I was good for about two weeks and then I would fail, fail miserably. And it was the kind of things that I was doing too, that weren't conducive to what I actually like to do. I thought, I thought that in order to achieve the results that I was looking for, I had to work out five to seven times a week like 45 minutes or more, hard push, like sweating, hurting, and that I had to eat super boring foods and eat the same thing all the time to make it easier on myself. And I'm the kind of person where I need a little a little variety. I can eat the same thing for a while, but then I do get bored. And then I'm going to go for whatever's around that's not that thing that I'm, quote, supposed to be eating. And I, it just wasn't working for me. I I would always end up feeling like a failure, which would make me feel worse about myself, which then meant that I was going to binge even harder and eat the entire sleeve of Girl Scout cookies instead of just like three or four, which is normal for me. Two is not going to happen, y'all. Two is barely getting started. Three is pretty good. Four is like perfect. So I don't really make resolutions anymore. What I do instead, I do take the time to reflect on the year behind and then I try to find one word that I think could help me continue to pursue the betterment of self throughout the year. So a couple years ago for 2019, that word for me was boundaries. I'd been sober for a couple years. I was just starting to get myself together emotionally and mentally. And I really needed to start setting those boundaries. I was, I was a yes person. I wanted to please people and I wanted to make sure that they liked me still. Still very much a thing. So 
I didn't have a lot of boundaries. I said yes to things I didn't want to do. I said yes to people I didn't want to be around because I thought that I was being selfless in saying yes instead of recognizing that I wasn't being my best self in any of those situations or doing my best work per se because I couldn't find a way to say no or push back a little bit, at least find some more compromise. And this couldn't have been more true than in my work life. I was working a ton and it was exhausting. And I knew that if I was going to not get burnt out, I really needed to start setting those boundaries and then holding other people to those boundaries. Things like, you know, someone emails me five minutes before the deadline of when we needed everything submitted by before we could move on to our next step, then I would just have to say no instead of making everybody scramble to fit this last person in and make an exception for this one thing. I really had to push back and say, I'm sorry, you know, you missed the deadline. The deadline was two days ago and we're already on step F and you're living in step B. It was hard. It was hard. It, It makes you uncomfortable. I think especially if you're Uh, a female, a woman living in this society today, we're making strides, but there is kind of that default if you're my generation or older to make sure everybody else is comfortable, make sure everybody else feels taken care of and that your feelings and uncomfortableness are just a sacrifice you have to make and to make sure everything else is going well. I really have to work on that still. And then last year, my word was strength. I was putting that out there in context of thinking I was going to be working toward more fiscal strength. That was my main focus in the hopes that sort of other strengths would become a part of that as the year went on. But uh, like many of you, things sort of got turned upside down within a matter of weeks of that year starting. And the kind of strength that ended up coming out of last year is completely different than what I thought it was going to be going into it. I ended up having a lot of things happen simultaneously between the pandemic and my husband getting COVID-19 and that experience of witnessing someone going through it. Right at the beginning of this, so you have to remember, he couldn't get tested. Tests weren't available. They didn't really exist. They were still trying to figure them out. Calling into the nurse sitting on hold for hours, just trying to get an answer. But they, unfortunately, not their fault. They didn't know. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what to look for. There were so many different symptoms. They didn't know how to help other than to say, yeah, it sounds like you have it. Keep doing what you're doing. And if you can, if you get to a place where you can't breathe, then you need to go to the hospital. And we almost got there. It was really scary. I had just started a new job just a few months before that. And it wasn't quite going the way that I had hoped. The responsibilities that were being asked of me were different than what I thought it was going to be going into it. And I was really struggling with that. And then the isolation, which turned out I was fine with. I actually really like being at home a lot because I haven't been. But initially, it was very jarring to be told that you can't go places and you can't do things and having plans get canceled and trips get canceled and all sorts of things like that. So you know, my kids were going through transitions and my son was graduating from elementary school and trying to shift to virtual and it was bananas. And the kind of strength that you have to have during all of these things is unknowable until you're through it. I don't think we really recognize how much and how strong we are in a situation until after when we look back. 
And even then we have a tendency to look back and see all the ways that we failed and all the ways we could have done better instead of recognizing how much we stepped up while it was happening and how much we were there for others and ourselves. And I think that was the biggest part of this that that aligned with strength was my own inner strength and listening to myself and trusting myself, making really difficult decisions, life-changing decisions that had major impacts on my family, having hard discussions with my husband about the reality of those decisions and what they really mean and, and then doing it anyway, because I needed to and doing it for me, recognizing that by making that choice for me, I was going to benefit everyone around me. So last year was strength. And this year, I went back and forth because I wasn't really sure. Everything is still so uncertain. It's hard to make plans when you don't know what the future really looks like. You know, I told you about my company being purchased, which shifts things in the future. And even though I feel like I have some good job security right now for the next few years, what I think my job is could very well change over the next six months as this deal starts to go through and what is going to be asked of me and pulling me away from things that I think I'd like to focus on versus what they actually need me to do. I have a lot of friends in the healthcare industry who have gotten vaccinated so far, but for us and our family, you know, we're pretty low on the totem pole. We're not going to be able to get vaccinated for a while. After my spouse went through the disease last year, he's not super eager to try and go through that again. And with that, having the rest of us expose him in any way or have any of us get it. I mean, I don't know. There's just no way to know how it would affect any of us. I'd like to think that we'd be fine, but you just don't know. I thought my husband would be fine, but he was in a unique situation and it hit him really hard and I thought I was going to lose him. So it's hard to think about the year ahead and think about what, what I would like to accomplish for myself. And, and most of this stuff, I really think about it in terms of, like I said, betterment of self. Because I could sit here, I could lose 100 pounds, be super healthy, fit, whatever. But if I don't continue to work on the internal person and work on my coping strategies and learning to love and be kind in the face of confrontation, so much discouragement and trauma and fear, then I could be the leanest, fittest person in the world and I will still be absolutely miserable because I don't really truly understand myself and I won't love myself. But I also think about where I'm at mentally and emotionally now. I mean, I'm much more resilient. I think we're all resilient and we have that. It lives in us. When you go through traumatic experiences, you sort of build on it. Whatever, whatever level you're at, you just level up from there. And I've had traumatic things happen all through my life, just like you. Uh, and there's a few big ones that stand out, but there wasn't one that was so life altering quite like the death of my mom. I did have one other happen after that, but that's for another episode. So for me, for this year, I'm thinking about that resiliency. I'm thinking about the strength of last year and how that strength wasn't this like, hold it all together. You've got this kind of strength. It was quieter and more subtle where I could feel, even though you would look out and it felt like everything was falling apart around us, that I still felt strong of self. So for this year, I'm going to take that one step further to the word that actually means mental and emotional strength. 
And so my 2021 word is fortitude. A little bit more punch, a little bit more purpose. I fully expect this year to be as unexpected as last year. And because of that, building mental and emotional fortitude is going to be even more as important. Continuing to be able to roll with the punches, not get sucked in to the hourly drama and craziness that's happening all the time. It's exhausting. I can't remember what I was watching over the weekend. I think it was Tom Papa. He has a comedy special on Netflix. It's called You're Doing Great. And it's hilarious, but it really just feels like a love letter to everyone. He's just like, you're doing great. It's okay. It's okay that all these things are hard. And he talks about how we're the first, we're the first humans to experience so much stimulation simultaneously with the news, with social media. It's just an onslaught all the time. Our primitive brains can't deal with that. Everything feels like an emergency. Everything immediately puts you in that fight, flight, or freeze. Everything is anxiety-inducing. Everything produces adrenaline. And so we're constantly up and then crashing and up and then crashing. You know, if that headline is getting your blood boiling, it's meant to do that. That's its point. It's trying to get a reaction out of you. And then down we go on down the scroll hole. And that's not a healthy way to live. There's got to be a way to find a balance of staying informed and not living in a state of overwhelm. And I'm 100% guilty of this. 100%. It's so hard. When they hit that emotional button inside you, that one that just riles you right up or makes you so sad that you can't even imagine and then you click the next link and then you click the next link and then you Google that term and then you Google that historical event and now you're so deep and you're, you just want to go to bed. You just want to curl up in a ball and lay down because you're completely overwhelmed. That's where some of this fortitude has to come in for me. Continuing to better myself will help me to do better for others always. I also want to say hello to anyone who's participating in dry January. This is a pretty popular thing for people to do because the last six weeks are usually fairly alcohol-soaked. A lot of people recognize that they need a break, and so they take January off. And it reminds me of those times when I was in my younger years when I would take a break from alcohol, you know, just stop drinking for a little while. And and it's it's great. I think, you know, if if that's something you're interested in doing or that you are doing right now, congratulations. Even if you're not addicted to alcohol, the pressure to drink is very substantial. It's all around us all the time. It's in every every single thing you watch. I've been binging a lot of shows, like many of you, over the last 10, 12 months, and everybody drinks. There's no sober character, and if they are a sober character, it's probably because they have to be sober, because they had to hit rock bottom, and it's nobody's just like, oh, no, I don't drink, or everybody's drinking. There's no question that you drink. There's no opportunity. We're not really represented in any way. And so even if you're just taking a break for a short stretch of time, you're still kind of being bombarded with it all the time. And then you're thinking, am I missing out on something? Everybody else is drinking. Maybe I should be drinking. And it is a good reset for your body. I'm not going to lie. I actually almost quit drinking for good in college because I took a class and the professor had written this book and he had done all this research around alcohol and actually what it, what it does to your body. And so I learned what your body does 
in order to break down alcohol. And it's actually a fairly traumatic experience for your system. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this to my body several times a week and everything it's having to go through and in order to break down this substance, which at its base level is ethanol and what a foreign substance to be putting into your body and and how much our bodies reject it. But obviously it didn't work because I didn't quit drinking for another 14 years. (laughs) Anyway, if you're participating in Dry January, congratulations and welcome. Thank you for listening. My older son used to get really dramatic with me. It's gotten better as he's gotten a little bit older. But he would have these massive tantrums and then he would say all of these terrible things about himself. And it was sad as a parent to hear your kids say those things about themselves and wonder where did, where are they getting these ideas from and how could they possibly think this about themselves. Until I really started listening to him, I wasn't really sure how to help. So finally one day I asked him, what do you hope I say next? You just told me how terrible and pathetic and worthless you are. What do you want me to say next? He usually caught him off guard. Sometimes he would say, I want you to agree with me. I want you to basically validate what I'm feeling about myself. I want to. I want you to say that you see it too and that you think the same thing about me, which of course I would never ever do. But I do use that same strategy on myself now. If I'm getting all upset and frustrated and worked up about something, what do I hope happens next? I'm going to try and play the movie through to the end. And this is another trick that someone had mentioned to me once is that they use when they're tempted to drink. They'll play the movie to the end. Okay, I'll have that drink and I'll probably have another drink and another drink. And then what if this happens or what if that happens or what if I have too many, but I don't have really a way to get home and I can't afford to take a car and oh, how am I going to get my car in the morning? So then I'm going to drive. And then what happens? And she said every time she played it all the way to the end, it was enough to stop her from doing it. And sometimes that's all you need to do. You just need to visualize where you want to be. Tomorrow morning, I want to wake up in my bed, safe, no headache, no dry mouth, no nausea, well-rested, well-hydrated. That's what I want in the morning. If I get in line with those people and take those Irish car bombs, am I going to feel that way in the morning? Nope. Absolutely not. Especially if you're over the age of 30. You know. It's not just a couple hour hangover anymore. It's the whole freaking day. Maybe longer. Brutal. It is brutal. So if you're trying out dry January and you're not sure yet if it's going to go beyond, you're just taking it day by day, which is awesome. It's pretty much how all of us do it. I want to give you a couple of resources here. I didn't find this stuff until after I stopped drinking for about a year. And I found it by accident. Found it through my girl, Brene Brown. Brene's been sober for for a long time. She reposted this picture of a t-shirt that said, sober feminist killjoy. And it made me laugh. I was like, well, that's pretty funny. If you're sober, you're usually a killjoy. If you're a feminist, people definitely think you're a killjoy. So I was pretty amused by it. So she had, you know, linked to where she had seen it. And it was um, this woman whose name is Holly Whitaker. And she had been sober for some time and she had started a recovery program based on her sobriety journey and what she had tried to do the resources that she was looking for didn't really exist alcoholics anonymous is a really excellent resource and it's okay that it doesn't work for everybody and she felt like it didn't work for her and so she you know fumbled through it on her own and created 
a program that she felt was different, but also very supportive. The recovery group is called The Tempest, and I'm just going to read you a little bit about something that they posted today in regards to dry January. Whether it's short-term or long-term, it's difficult to think about what this might be like. You know, I, I had touched on before about that, that fear, of, fear of missing out. It's a real thing that we all have. You know, that fear of exclusion is, is really strong. It's strong among all of us. And we want that connection. We want to have connection with other people. And in order to get it, sometimes we're kind of willing to do anything that it takes, depending on who it is and what it is. And I am an excellent example of that. Doing things that I knew in my gut I shouldn't have been doing, but I wasn't willing to be left out. So I did it anyway. So in in light of what I was just saying in, ter- in terms of playing the movie to the end, they take it one step further and say that simply envisioning your life without alcohol could be a good place to start. It's really weird at first when you think about it. It's like, oh, how can I enjoy brunch if I'm not having mimosas? How can I go out for, quote, happy hour if I'm not drinking? How can I cope through another lockdown, another quarantine without being able to drink it away? So it's a good it's a good resource. She wrote a book. It's called Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol. It's really fascinating. It's even if you don't even feel like quitting to drink, it's really interesting historically to hear about the alcohol industry, much like the tobacco industry, and sort of how they manipulated us to do exactly what they wanted. Like shaving, like women didn't shave for years and years and years. But all the men went off to war and all of a sudden the razor folks are like, oh crap, we're losing money. Well, the women are still here. Let's see if we can get them to start using our product. Let's see if we can shame them into thinking having hairy bodies is a bad thing. And that's a really good place to stop because you'll hear why next week. Happy New Year. You matter. I'm here for you. Reach out on that Google form if you want to talk anonymously. MySoberLife.Buzzsprout.com you are not alone. We are going to get through this year together. One week at a time, one day at a time, one hour at a time, whatever it takes. Thank you so much for listening. Send me your questions and stories at mysoberlifepodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe, wash your hands, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.